Hey, let's dive into the message today. I am so pumped about today. Today we're going to conclude our series, um, Unstuck. Now, I had no idea where this series was going to go when we started it. All I knew was July 11th, I was feeling stuck. I'm sure many of you were feeling stuck. I had just read the one-year Bible passage of Acts chapter 27 and 28. It's the passage of where Paul gets shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And then God uh, miraculously helps Paul get unstuck and unstranded from that island. And it's really the whole journey of Paul's life in that moment. Because my prayer was, God, listen, I realize people are stuck. And how do I help as a pastor to get them unstuck? And if you remember the very first week, we talked about God's ready when you're ready. See, I I thought, well, God, give us six steps to get unstuck. And the first step was to recognize that you're not really stuck. The enemy wants you to think you're stuck. It's a mentality that you can have that I'm stranded, but it's just a current situation you find yourself in. And if you change your thinking, if you begin to realize, look, God, when I, I'm ready. And so God's like, okay, well, I'm ready too. And he helps us to get unstuck. The second week we talked about shake it off. That God will take your pain and give it purpose. That though you experience pain in life, he can redeem that pain. But the thing we have to do is we got to be willing to surrender it to God so that he can redeem what only he can redeem. Third week, we talked about living the secret or the secret to living. Remember, Paul talked about, hey, I know the secret. He lets us in on a secret. And Paul's secret was his paradigm. His mentality was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He had a mentality and a paradigm that says, look, nothing's going to stop me. And we're realizing that there is this subconscious programming that's going on in the background of our mind. And Paul had the right programming in his mind that helped him to keep moving forward in his life. Week four, we talked about that, the sabotage from within. That many times we're being sabotaged by ourselves. As a victim, it's easy to say, it's your fault, I'm where I'm at. But when you say, I'm a victor, you have to say, no, it's my fault, I'm where I'm at. Like, I have to take responsibility and realize nobody can keep me where I'm at. I'm the only person that can allow myself to remain stuck. And we talked about how that our thoughts play a powerful role in our lives, that we have anywhere from 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts. Someone once said, they said, Pastor, that's a whole lot of variance in thoughts. I said, yeah, but men have a nothing box. So that 12,000 is about right for a man. Come on, somebody. What you think about nothing? Ain't about nothing. And ladies, you ladies, y'all got thoughts should go up to 60. Think about that, 60,000 thoughts in a day. Well, I'd heard about that. I heard we had a lot of thoughts. What I had never heard before was that about 80% of your thoughts are negative and 95% of them are repetitive. That means you have the same thoughts every single day, day in and day out, which means I am today because of the habit of thought I had yesterday. And so we understood the paradigm. Oh, that's the thing that's got me bound in the place and locked into the place of where I'm at right now. Then we talked about the counterfeit life. We talked about how that you've got to know who you are before you can reject what you're not. 
There's got to be an understanding of my identity and who God's called me to be, which is what we talked about last weekend, discovering your identity. Because it's not just about getting unstuck, it's about becoming unstoppable. Right? I don't want to just have forward progress. I want to be able to end my life, say, look, there's no devil in hell that can stop what God is doing in my life. There's no person on this earth that can stop it, that I am unstoppable. Doesn't mean that life is easy. Doesn't mean that, that I'm going to have this easy-go-lucky life and, man, I'm going to live the American dream. No, no, it doesn't mean that. What it means is I'm unstoppable, that I got purpose even when I walk through pain. Look, Paul walked through hardship. I, I shared the passage last week. He talked about being shipwrecked and stoned and whipped. And his whole theme of life is danger in here and danger over there and danger over there. And somehow as a believer, we think God's life for us is safe. <laughs> I mean, oh, God is good, but God's not safe. Can, can I let you in on a secret? You're like, but, that, but I don't understand that. Yeah. No, the safest place is not in the center of God's will. Like, it's not safe. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, tell that to a martyr. Tell that to someone who just got beat for sharing their faith. The safest place is in the center of God's will. That, that's not really an accurate statement. Now, a life of significance is in the center of God's will. A life of eternity and making an eternal impact is in the center of God's will, but safety is nowhere in there. I mean, think about us buying the building. There was nothing safe about me standing up here and saying, I believe that's our building. Remember, we didn't even have a contract. You remember that? Well, that's not safe. We didn't have a million dollars. That's not safe. Like when you look at your life, you're not looking for safety, you're looking for significance. God, I want to live a life that matters. God, I want to make it into heaven hearing you say, well done, my good and faithful servant, that I've accomplished everything that you asked me to do, that my life was focused on the right things, not having gotten distracted by the things of this world. And that's what I want to talk about today, living on mission. It's the conclusion of this series, and I had to re I rewrote this message. I was laughing at Phyllis this morning. I was telling her, I rewrote this message three times again. Last week, I rewrote it three times, and, and I think the reason is there's way more than what I can talk about, and this is the last day. Next week's at the movies. Can't do anything about it, right? We're going to enjoy it. So I had to give you something today that would conclude this series, and as you walk out of here, whether this is your first portion of the series or you've been with me through all seven parts, you walk out of here saying, I got it. Okay, I got what I need. Now I can live my life on mission for God. Now, the series we started was in Acts 27 and 28. It was the, the story of Paul getting shipwrecked on the island of Malta, but I want to talk about what happened before that. He was shipwrecked because he was going to Rome to stand before Caesar. Now, why was Paul going to Rome to stand before Caesar? Well, because he was in prison. And while he was in prison, he's talking to King Agrippa and Governor Felix, and he's telling them his story of how God changed him, how he was converted, and how he was saved, and why he is preaching the gospel like he's preaching the gospel. 
And I want to go back to that moment because I think there's a key in here that if we will learn, it will make us unstoppable. Like it's not good enough just to have your identity. There's actually more that you need to know if you're going to be unstoppable in your life. And I want to go to the portion of scripture in Acts 26, verse 9 through 20. There's a lot of scripture in here. I'm going to read them real quick. And I want to just make a couple of comments that I think will help you to become unstoppable in your life. Now, verse 16 is Paul talking to Governor Felix and King Agrippa telling them about his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. If you know anything about the life of Paul, maybe you're new to Christianity, the Apostle Paul, uh, let me set the stage for you, he's the one that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Much of what we read in the New Testament was written by Paul. Now, he went by Saul before, and he was actually a persecutor of Christians. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was religious. He was devout. And so he went around, and this man named Jesus had died, and there was this movement, and it was not called Christianity. It was actually called the way. And so there was this movement called the way about a man who had just died on the cross claiming to be the son of God who performed many miracles, but Saul didn't believe that. See, Pharisees and, and, and the Sadducees, they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God, so they felt like this was a cult. Why? Because they were devout Jews. They were waiting for the Messiah. Now, isn't that interesting? You can be waiting for God and miss God all at the same time get so religious in the movement, in the moment, and, and you miss the very thing that God is doing in your life. And so here we have Saul, he's going to persecute more Christians because that was his mission. He was devout, and, and that's what makes it so interesting is that he wasn't a bad man, he was a passionate and devout man. And he was so passionate about the, the, his faith and Judaism that he was, was out there trying to squash this cult that was rising up, not realizing he was working against God. And so on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up, and here's what we see in verse 9. It says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything. And he's talking to, to, to the king and to the governor. And so his mission was to oppose the very name of Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, indeed, I did just that. So my mission was to squash this rebellion, this movement, this cult. And then look at what he says in verse 12. On one day, I was on my mission to Damascus. And it says, a light from heaven shone brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's useless for you to fight against my will. So can you imagine having a visitation from Jesus? Hey, why are you persecuting me? He's like, what are you talking about? You know, I, I don't understand. And he says, who are you, Lord? And he asked, and the Lord replied, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I've appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. So see, Paul had a vision for his life, and his vision was to do everything to oppose Jesus. That was pre-Jesus. Now he has a visitation from God, and here he is, he's given a new vision. A new vision. 
God's vision for his life. And Jesus speaks to him and says, I want you to tell people that you've seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Verse 19. So this is what he said. So so that's what he's telling them. That's what Jesus has spoken to. It's a new vision and a new mission for Paul. And he goes on in verse 19. He says, so King Agrippa... After basically hearing God's vision for my life, Paul says, look, I obeyed that vision. Everybody say, obeyed that vision. Listen, just because you get God's new vision for your life doesn't mean you will obey God's vision for your life. Like, that's where we have to realize you could be saved, you could even know God's vision and not fulfill God's vision. This has nothing to do with eternity. It has nothing to do with eternal security. I don't believe the devil can take you out of the hands of God. So I'm not talking about your salvation, but wouldn't it be a tragedy to be saved and not fulfill your purpose? And so here we know what happens is Saul is converted. He has this moment with God where God changes him, but he had to obey the vision that God gave him. And it says, look, I preach first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and all throughout Judea and also to the Gentiles that all would repent of their sins and turn to God and prove they have changed by the good things they do. So Paul receives this new vision from God. And I want to propose this, that God has a vision for your life And it's your responsibility to obey it, just like Paul had to obey it himself. Like, he has a vision for your life. Like, I believe when we look at Paul's life and we we see him on the island of Malta and we see all the challenges that he went through in his life, what we know is that because he had a vision from God on what he was supposed to do, he stood strong. He couldn't, he didn't go to the right or to the left. He, he, there was something inside him that says, look, I've got to obey what God spoke to me to obey, regardless of what the cost is for me personally. So it was almost as if he shifted and changed lenses for his life. Now, you know, I'm not a, a photographer per se. I do have my iPhone for t- photography. Come on, somebody. I got all the little filters on that. Now, a real photographer has a real camera that you can actually change the lenses. Any real photographers in here? Now, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I do know there's a wide lens. There's a telephoto lens. There's zoom lenses. I mean, there's, there's different lenses for different environments so that you can see what it is you're trying to focus on. And what I would tell you is that as a believer, that you have to decide which lens you're going to choose to attach to your life. So God doesn't pick your lens for you like he gives it to you, but you got to put it on. And just because you're saved, look, Saul or Paul, however you want to describe him, he had a lens for his life pre-Jesus. Now Jesus has an, he has an encounter with Jesus and he has to choose to pick up that new lens post-Jesus. 
And that new lens is what's going to help him determine what it is he chooses to focus on in his life. And the lens that he found was the lens that he was to go and tell people about what Jesus had done in his life and go and preach the gospel that everywhere he went, he would share the good news that Jesus was the Messiah. And because he was the Messiah, when he died, he paid the penalty of sin, which was death, hell, and the grave. And now the resurrection life of God could be on the inside of us. That was the new filter, the new lens that he would begin to live his life through. And here's what I would tell you. You have to take the responsibility to uncover and discover God's vision for your life. Nobody can make you do it. Nobody can do it for you. How do I do it, Pastor? It's the same way that Peter uncovered his identity. It's the same way that we see Saul turns to Paul. It was an encounter with Jesus. You want to find your vision? You got to get next to Jesus. You got to spend time with God. You got to get in his presence, and then he'll begin to share with you the vision that he has for your life. You can't do it apart from a relationship. Because I'm concerned, and I'm just not going to go with my notes. So if you're following me on my notes, Ariana, it's going to be really tough because I'm not going that way. It's really tough. Can I just talk to you? It's really tough to pursue God's vision and the American dream. That's the challenge, right? We want to be saved as Christians. We want to say, listen, I'm saved, but you never changed lenses. You kept the lens on that the world gave us from a child, that you can be anything, you can do anything, you can have anything. Can I tell you, you can't be anything, you can't do anything, you can't have anything apart from God's will in your life. Why? Because God created you, and he's the one that defines you. So we can't just, once we're saved, look, you were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. It ain't about you. It's, it was about you, but it ain't about you now. Come on, somebody. Like, I, I, I was lost, but I ain't lost no more. Isn't it interesting that Jesus leaves the 99 in search of the one? He didn't stay there and have a picnic with the 99 that were found. I wonder for us how many of us have gone after the one that Jesus is out there trying to find. See, we're like, Jesus, where did you go? He went in search of that lost person that's in your world, at your work, in your neighborhood, at your grocery store, and we just live a nice, happy, quiet life because we just want to be comfortable. And the whole time we're like, Jesus, I don't feel you. Yeah, because he done left to go search for that lost person that we're not even worried about. Why? Because we just want to be comfortable. We want to be safe. Look, he didn't call us to live a safe, comfortable life. There's nothing safe or comfortable about being a Christian. Why? Because when he speaks, you've got to move. When he gives you vision, you don't get to say whether you agree with it or not. Oh, but it's, I mean, come on, pastor, like, I got to agree. No, you ain't got to agree. Not at all. This ain't a democracy. It's a theocracy. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We are his servants, his subjects, his sons, his daughters. And the cool thing about it is he says, oh, yeah, and my friends. So listen, we've got to be as, as, as Christians in America. We just have to be so, so careful.
that we don't mix up the American dream with God's vision for our life. Say, well, pastor, well, does that mean that I can't be blessed? No, I'm not saying you, you, you're not going to be blessed. I want to be blessed. Look, I, I can tell you this. As a church, we're blessed. If you're broke, you can't bless the world. But you have to be willing to say, I've got the blessing. The blessing doesn't have me. So let's put it like this. If God asked you to give everything in your bank account, would you give it? If God asked you to give away your car, would you give it? If God asked you to give away your house, would you give it? If God asked you to give away whatever it is that's so valuable and precious to you, would you surrender it to the feet of Jesus and the cross and say, God, it's yours. If you want it back, you can have it back. It doesn't belong to me. I'm a steward. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Look at what it says. Put off your old self, which belonged to your former manner of life. Think about that. Put it off. My old vision, Paul's old vision. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta take all that off the former manner of life and former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on your new self everybody say new self so i got to put here, here is what i find so interesting throughout this entire series and i'm doing a lot of writing so hopefully i'll be able to share with you what i feel like god's doing but apart from salvation did you know, like most of what Paul says, you have to do? Like, think about that, because I think sometimes we can come down to the front, and, and I believe in prayer, I believe in laying on the hands, but it's like, hey, pray that God will do this, and pray that God will help, help, help me not have those thoughts, and pray that God will deliver me from this addiction, and pray, well, look, we could pray deliverance, but if you don't go walk out deliverance, you'll be back down here again getting prayer again, and did he deliver you the first time? He did, but you didn't renew your mind, you didn't renew your subconscious the thing that keeps sabotaging you, you didn't work on, and so God has to constantly renew you and continue in this moment to set you free. Like how many times we gotta pray over you? Doesn't it work the first time? You see, you see what I'm saying? So it's like we, we get a, I wonder if we're not like junkies addicted to the fix. God, I want to feel you. God, I want to, you know, we come in and so, so and I know it's like, man, like I, I, I love the presence and power of God, but I have to tell you this, if he never manifested himself again, I'm going to stay faithful. If I never felt his presence again, I'm not going to stop. If I never saw him do anything else again, I'm going to stay committed. I was watching a documentary about Noah. My kids, they were laughing. I must be, it must be that old people syndrome or something. Because for me, I'm like, I guess my parents, they'd watch it back in the day, and I'd be like, ah. Oh. So somehow I stumbled on this thing, and I thought, isn't it amazing how Noah stayed focused on one word for God for over 100 years? Built something that is spectacular. One of the great marvels of our world from one moment of revelation. 
And we need revelation every week just to stay focused on our little bitty accomplishments. I think it goes back to our position of it's about us. God, I need you. No, no, no. I'm a servant. It's not about me. I am new. I have been made new. There is a new self. Look, he says, put on the new self. So I got to put it on. I got to, okay, God, you have been created in your likeness. We talked about it last night. We did our lab. Those of you that were there, uh, it was pretty amazing how they, we, we just, one of the portions of the conversation was 2 Corinthians 5.21. You have been made the righteousness of God. Let me just explain that to you. If you're new to the faith, you don't have to fight for the perfection of God. It's already on the inside of you. So you say, well, I want to be disciplined. You already are disciplined. Why? Because when you became a believer, there was an exchange. You got all of the righteousness of God and he took all the sin of your life. It's the great exchange. That means everything that's in the character and nature of God is already on the inside of you. You already are bold. You are already courageous. You are already disciplined. You are already prosperous. You are already blessed. You are already all the things that God is because it's a supernatural exchange. So at some point, we've got to stop making excuses. Well, I would if they would. I would if he did or didn't do this. If she did or didn't do this, I would. But no, 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 no. I will do it now. Why? Because God spoke it to me. It's his vision for my life. And I am already made perfect through Christ. <clears throat> Come on. Let me just give you a couple of the points. I... Here, here's a couple of things that I, I, I love. D, well, D.L. Moody said this. I thought this was powerful. Your greatest fear should not be fear of failure, but of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. Isn't that powerful? Let me give you a couple of, th this is one of the points of my message this morning. Vision gives your life direction and purpose. How could Paul be shipwrecked? How could Paul get bitten by a snake or a viper and not get off track? Well, because he had God's vision for his life. He was going to go preach the gospel. So think about this. So if I'm on a boat and it's been 14 days, what am I going to do? I'm going to preach the gospel. If I'm on an island and I'm stranded or stuck, what am I going to do? I'm going to preach the gospel. Isn't that what we see what happened? This is the key to what we started with on week one. So Paul is there. He's gathering food. That, shade, that snake comes on and he shakes the snake off. He doesn't get mad at the people that are hating on him. Remember, they said, well, he must have surely done something. The gods are paying him back. Well, most of us, because we don't have the vision of God in our life, we would have disqualified ourselves from the opportunity of speaking into a life of a person who is lost all because they hated on you. Listen, lost people are going to do what lost people do. They hate on people. Why? Because hurting people hurt people. And we get offended. We wear our feelings on our shoulders and we get up all upset and uptight that a lost person is talking about us instead of realizing that the vision of God drives me forward, keeps me focused, that though they hate on me, I don't want to disqualify myself from the opportunity of sharing the gospel with them. Maybe that's why Paul didn't say anything. Because he realized vision is greater than my feelings. 
that God, your purpose inside of me is greater than my comfort. It's greater than the popularity that I seek. It's greater than anything. So right now I'm going to keep my mouth closed because if I'll keep my mouth closed, I'll be able to fulfill your purpose in my life and walk out the vision. And so he did. And then what do we know happened? He was invited to the leader's house of the island on the island. And he ends up seeing that father who was sick healed. And then because of that miracle, there were many other miracles. In fact, it says everyone on the island who had a sickness was healed. And in that moment, there was revival that swept across the island. And to this day, the churches on that island find their root in the work of what Paul did. It wasn't about one moment. It was about a lifetime of change that God brought all through the life of Paul because his vision gave him direction and purpose. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, people perish. Maybe that's why you feel like you're dying on the inside. You say, well, I just feel like I'm just dying on the inside. Well, my question is, do you have God's vision for your life? A per person without vision is like a ship without a rudder, just drifting out in the sea. Can you imagine a big ship out on the open sea without a rudder to take it where it needed to go. I mean, it would just be subject to the environment of the sea. It would be subject to the winds over on the sea. So in other words, that's why you feel like a victim because you don't have any vision. You've got no strength to go in a direction. You just drift from this circumstance. So when this circumstance is good, your life is good. But then you'll drift over here and a bad circumstance happens. Now your life is bad. And you're like this emotional roller coaster going up and down. Not because God is good or bad, but because you don't have vision. Third thing is vision helps you stay focused. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 14. Eli, you guys can come out. I'm closing. Paul spoke this. And look at what he says. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the, toward the goal, the goal, the goal. What's the goal? It's the vision God gave him. It's that God, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to tell people. I'm going to show them what you've done in me and what you've spoken to me to share with them. And so I, I, I see that a lot as if it was a window. Your vision, when you have it, is the window that you're called to look through. Now, my son, Caden, loves to go hunting. He, I don't know where he got that from. It wasn't for me, I promise you that. At a young age, was seven or eight, Caden started watching the Hunting Channel, started getting all these magazines, and just loved anything to do with hunting. It just began to get so captivated by it. So over the years, he's developed relationships and friendships with people. And we'll go hunting sometimes. Sometimes he goes with buddies. But recently, I think it was last year, him and Mr. Jerry, uh, Mr. Jerry has some land. And they talked about, hey, we're going to build a blind, a deer blind that we can put a feeder in front of and we can try to kill a deer. And so the, the, the blind, he, they brought me up there. It's pretty amazing. It's like a little house, man. I, I don't know where Mr. Jerry and them are at, but it's, it's pretty amazing. It's like, wow, man, I can't imagine sitting in something like this. This is, this is nice. All, all the elements are kept out. And 
There's one little window you just push open. And the thing that I love about it is there's one window, and that window is forward. It doesn't have a window behind it or to the side. It's right where the deer are going to come out. Come on, somebody. How many know that's where we need to be looking? And how many of you, you look at this. The reason there ain't other windows is because men get distracted really easy. We'd be like, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. No, no. I, I, right? Come on, all my hunter, hunters, we're about to start this next weekend. Go kill Bambi. Start next weekend. You got to get it. Why? We just get distracted. And so, you know, it's like, where, where am I looking? I've got the vision. The vision's where? It's where the deer's going to come. Right there. Why? Because that's where I'm feeding it. That's where it's, you know, the food is there. The deers will come. Hopefully, if it's a good lease, the deer will come. And My question is, which window are you looking out of? Second thing, are you feeding the place where your vision is? Like, like, are you feeding that place? Because see, we can always, I mean, we can always look at the rear view mirror. We can always look at how bad it was in the past. And then you can always look to the side. Thank God for social media, right? We can always see everybody else's highlight reel. My God, your marriage is amazing. My God, your family is awesome. My God, you're this, you, I mean, right? We can always, there's always, and, and it's always in the moments when you're feeling the worst about yourself that you see sister awesome and brother amazing and you're like, good Lord, they're perfect. No, no, Paul didn't look to the left. He didn't look to the right. He didn't look behind him. He had a lot of junk in his trunk. You know what I'm saying? He could have gone back. No, no, he said, my vision is full. What's that mean? That means I've got to preach the gospel where everywhere God takes me, every place I step my foot, every situation that I find myself in, no matter whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether I like it or whether I don't, my vision is forward, and I'm going to feed that vision with the fire of God, the power of God, the passion of God, the word of God. And that's what us as believers moving forward, the best way I could tell us as we get unstuck and become unstoppable is to find the vision of God for your life and never look anywhere else. I'm not going to look to the person to the right or to, they're not called to live the life I'm called to live. I'm not going to look in the past mistakes. Some of you feel disqualified by the mistakes that you made in life. You're not disqualified. Don't get distracted. Just going to look forward. I'm going to move forward. Let me just pray over us this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. God, I thank you for the, this whole series. God, if it wasn't for anybody else, it was for me. Clarity on the vision that you've given to us. Clarity on the direction that you want our lives to move. God, I pray that you would help us to realize that, God, it's all about you, it's always been about you, and it's always going to be about you. Lord, especially, I, I want to pray over all the Christians in this room. Lord, I know there are people here that you're not a believer yet. You're here in a safe place, and I want you to know this. You, you don't have to believe to belong. You're in a safe place. But I want to pray over all the Christians in this place. God, I pray for each and every one of them. 
that God, you placed inside of them the seed of their vision, the seed of their future, the seed of what you want them to accomplish for your kingdom. And God, I pray, would you help them to uncover that? God, would you help them to realize that they're not an accident, that they don't have to drift in life, but God, you've given them a purpose. You've given them specific direction. And Lord, as they spend time with you, that you'll reveal it just like you did to Saul, who became Paul and Peter. God, I, 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 you're not a God who is a respecter of persons. God, you said when we seek you, we find you. You said that you reward those who earnestly seek you. So God, I pray that there would be a passion inside of each person who is here and each person that is watching to seek you like never before. That God, there would not be this apathy, this blasé feeling of I'll just, I'll just make it, I'll just drift. No, God, there would be an, uh, just this call to urgency that I can't wait any longer. I can't waste any more time. God, there is a world that is hurting and dying and going to hell. And every person here, God, every person watching, they are the solution. They're a part of your mission. So God, help them to move forward right now. Now keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here or maybe you're watching online and you just don't have a relationship with God. You've never surrendered your life to him. I want you to know this is, this is your moment. This is your time. That right now, you may not have been looking for God, but God's come looking for you. And I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer of surrender that I'm going to lead you in. Maybe your heart is beating fast and you recognize that this, this has been a divine setup. This is a moment that God has set up just for you. I remember when... God came searching for me. Having been raised in church, I found myself running from God and running from church and running from all the things that I knew I should be running towards and found myself strung out on drugs. And I'll never forget February 3rd, 2000, February 7th, 2003, 12.30 at night. Been partying for a couple of days, been up. Wasn't even looking for God. I was in my bathroom getting ready to go out for another night. And all of a sudden, God showed up in my bathroom. And Phyllis was in the other room. And I'll never forget, I saw two roads. I saw a road that led to hell. And I saw a road that led to God. And I felt the Lord say, choose right now which path you'll take. And in that moment, there was an awakening of my lostness. Like, though I knew about God, I didn't know God. Though I'd been raised in church, didn't make me a Christian. I couldn't live off the faith of my family or my parents, but I had to, in that moment, make a decision for myself. I believe there's some of you, you're at that deciding point right now. You could do what I did. In that moment, I simply surrendered. For the next couple of hours, God would speak to me in a profound way, but it was the moment that changed me. And I want to lead you in a prayer. If that's you today, maybe, you know, strung out on drugs or you find yourself in the hole that I was in, but you find yourself lost, 
hopeless, feeling like your life is a mess, realizing that you can't fix it. It's a great place to be. And if that's you, heads bowed or eyes closed, and you say, I'm ready to pray that prayer, Pastor, the, pastor, the prayer of surrender, the prayer of commitment to God. I wonder if you just be bold. Just raise your hand. Just say, right now, that's me. I'm ready to surrender. It's a sign of surrender. I'm ready right now to go all in. Nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. But you say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes. Come on. Yes. Yes. Maybe you're watching online. Come on, church. Tell them how proud you are. This is your moment. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Jesus, I need you. I surrender my life to you. I give you everything. Forgive me of all of my sins. Wash away my past. I give you my life. I give you my hope. I give you everything. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Come on, worship God.